Good morning. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Tuesday, the 13th of September. I hope you enjoyed the Mid-Autumn Festival. This is Money Talk, back on Radio 3. Peter Lewis with the latest business and finance headlines. Financial Secretary Paul Chan said on Sunday that boosting the vaccination rate is the key to reopening the border. Writing on his official blog... Mr Chan said, only through concerted efforts, further boosting vaccine uptake, can we have more leeway to resume international travel to the greatest extent, stabilise the economy and restart the growth engine. Reuters is reporting that the Biden administration plans to widen curbs on US shipments of semiconductors for artificial intelligence and chip making tools to China. The Commerce Department intends to publish new regulations next month based on restrictions communicated in letters earlier this year to three U.S. companies, KLA, LAM Research and Applied Materials. Local media in Japan is reporting that the country may soon relax travel restrictions for foreign travellers to help boost the Japanese economy and the yen. Japan has barred most foreign visitors for the last two years amid measures to slow the spread of COVID. And interest rates in Hong Kong have hit multi-year highs. The one-month high bore, against which mortgages are pegged, rose to 2.01% on Friday. That's a 29-month high. The three-month high bore, the benchmark for corporate loans, climbed to 2.79%, approaching a 14-year high. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by John Schofield of Tempest Investment and Nitin Dialdas from Mandarin Capital. With a view from Japan is Tokyo-based journalist and author William Pesic. On Wall Street, US stocks have closed out their best four days since June, as traders bet that today's US consumer price inflation report will show that inflation has peaked. The S&P 500 rose 1.1% to 4,110. The Dow gained 230 points, or 0.7%, to end at 32,381. The Nasdaq Composite Index added 1.3%, ending the session at 12,266. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index climbed for a third day, adding 1.8%. London's FTSE 100 rose 1.7%. Markets in China, Hong Kong and South Korea were closed on Monday for the Mid-Autumn Festival. Last week, the Hang Seng fell half a percent, extending its losses for 2022 to date to over 17%. The Shanghai Composite gained 2.4% over the five days, reducing its 2022 losses to 10.4%. In the commodities markets... Brent crude oil settled 1.2% higher at $94 a barrel. Gold rose half a percent to $1,725 an ounce. A poor auction of three-year and 10-year US Treasury notes has sent yields higher. The 10-year yield rose four basis points to 3.36%. And the US dollar index has dropped to 10-day lows ahead of consumer price inflation data from the US later today. The euro jumped to a three-week high against the US dollar on Monday. It's up 0.8% at $1.01.25. The Japanese yen is trading at 142.59 versus the greenback. Sterling rose 0.8% despite disappointing UK GDP data. It's just below $1.17 and 9 Hong Kong dollars and 17 cents. And the offshore yuan firmed against the buck 
to 6.91 and three quarters. There was no trading in onshore yuan yesterday due to the market holidays. Markets around Asia Pacific are opening up and down in Australia, the SX200 up about a third of a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan has risen 0.2%. Uh, in South Korea, where markets were closed yesterday, the Cosby right now is up 1.6%. And futures markets are pointing to a gain of about 90 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Let's welcome our guests over in our Queensway studio. We have John Schofield, Managing Director at Tempest Investment. Morning, John. Yes, good morning, Peter. And also with us, Nitin Dialdas, who's Chief Investment Officer at Mandarin Capital. Morning to you, Nitin. Oh, it seems like uh, Nitin isn't there. Okay, let's uh, let's carry on with you, John. Hopefully Nitin will, will turn up short, shortly. Financial Secretary Paul Chan said on Sunday <coughs> that boosting the vaccination rate is the key to reopening <coughs> the borders. The city faces headwinds such as a resurgence of COVID cases, a high external inflation rate and interest rate hikes in the US. Writing on his official blog, he said that only through concerted efforts, further boosts boosting vaccine uptake, can we have more leeway to resume international travel to the greatest extent, stabilise the economy and restart the growth engine. Just under 75% of the Hong Kong population aged 12 and over have received three doses of COVID vaccines, according to the latest official data. Um, John, we talked about this before, but what do you make of these latest comments from, uh, from Paul Chan? Yeah, it seems like we're getting sort of slightly mixed messages, not only from Paul Chan, but some of the other senior officials. Um, as we've seen, there's obviously a debate, probably quite a hot debate going on behind the scenes. Um, but equally, the leadership is anxious to ensure that there's no, the, you know, there appears to be unity in the government. But, Do you um, think that's a, a good or a bad thing? Because isn't it sensible to have a policy debate in the open? Because no one can claim they've got the right answer to this, can they? Because it's a complicated yeah, no, issue. No, I, I, I tend to agree. I mean, it's a, it's a fine balance. Um, you have to have you should have the debate and um you know all the different views should be taken into account but i suppose um from my point of view the, the point of, once the decision has been make and made made um it should be you know obviously you have to have um um collective responsibility as they say in the uk uh, and that all uh, all relevant officials have to get behind the policy once it's fixed but, um, but advisors are different, aren't they? Advisors are there mm. to give advice. And if they think uh, the direction the government is going in is wrong, they should yeah. be able to say so, shouldn't they? Um, yes, yes. Um, I, I would tend to agree. The question is exactly where you draw the line between. I mean, the, the advisors, so-called experts in, in the COVID crisis on a worldwide basis have sort of taken on much more importance and have mm. had more... Um, responsibility and power if you like so in a sense they're, they're always going to have to um, need to you know tell toe an official line of some kind yeah well, what do you make of this uh, reverse quarantine scheme whereby you in effect uh, you meet the mainland's quarantine mm. requirements by by doing it uh, by doing it here mm. um, do you think that's going to work is it going to uh, boost cross-border business at all 
Um, I think as someone said, it, 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 it's better than nothing and it helps uh, it helps a bit. But, um, you know, clearly, clearly in the long term we need something much more substantive. And also they've cut the quota anyway, haven't they? So, uh, yeah. so it's been um, cut in half, so there's even less chance that you're going to yeah. win the lottery to be able to go in the first place. Yeah, yeah, that's... Um, yeah, so, so uh, unfortunately what's going on over the border right now um, I think precludes any any opening on that side. Yeah. Um, so hopefully Paul Chan, returning the focus on what's going to happen to the international border for Hong Kong, I think takes on uh, much greater importance. Well, John Lee has always said that the two aren't mutually exclusive. Even if you can't open the border with mainland China, it could be opened internationally. But I, I'm not seeing any signs that there's any movement forward on that. Are, are you? Um, yes, it, it's very hesitant. They've gone very hesitant, um, presumably for that kind of reason, that they don't want to seem to be too far out of step with mm. with, with the mainland. But, um, you know, take it... But the, the calls, I think the, the main thing is the calls for a, a kind of roadmap and be definitive about what, when you take those measures, depending on if it's data dependent, then that's great. Number of case, when the number of cases starts to decline again, and um, if the vaccine take up rate reaches a, a specified level, I don't know what that is, is that 90% or something like that, mm -hmm. then, um, then reopening can take place. That, that's, I think that's what most people are really calling for they're not saying you know just recklessly uh reopen but give us a give us a plan a mm. plan with milestones uh and give us some numbers you know mm. if you've got well, a financial well, secretary saying we need to, to to we need great uptake on the vaccination rate well can't, can't they give us a number mm. Um, and and how and how is it going to be done? How are you going to yes, persuade yes. those people uh, well, who don't want to get other, vaccinated? That's the other thing you know i'd like to see much more um a much more concerted, uh, what do you call it, PR drive or something, you know, uh, mm. to win hearts and minds um, and really emphasise to people, I suppose you could say it's a patriotic duty to get vaccinated and help help the whole um, community recover, you know, open up and get back to business as normal. Uh, I think that sort of personal responsibility, um, you know, needs to be needs to be given more emphasis mm. by, by the government. Bill, Bill Winters, the CEO of Standard Chartered, he said yesterday Hong Kong is open um, and, and, you know, he plans to come to the investment summit in, um, yeah. in November. Is Hong Kong open? Do you think it is? I mean, it's interesting that he says that from Singapore, doesn't he, where uh, yes, <laughs> they're, yes. they're reducing all the, uh, all, the, all the requirements to nothing. So I suppose it's easy to say yeah. that from Singapore. Yeah, it's subject, uh, yeah I, I, I don't know, maybe... Um, Maybe from his, his, he can do seven days quarantine. Or I don't know if he's a resident of Hong Kong as well. Um, I guess he might be. Um, you know, does he have to? He, at the moment, he's still out to do seventeen seven mm -hmm. days quarantine unless yep. he gets a special exemption, as far as I know. So. Um, I don't know if that's... It's, it's interesting, isn't it, the contrast now between Hong Kong and Singapore. Singapore mm. used to be regarded as the nanny state with mm. the government intervening in virtually everything, whereas now um, it's really yeah. dropping all the requirements, getting out of the way, and Hong yeah. Kong is going in the other direction. We've become the nanny state. <laughs> do, do you think with, with you know the government's really making this very, very complicated set yes. of rules? I mean, you look at the... Um, you know the leave home app you've got blue uh, blue passes green passes red passes it's all getting very complicated isn't it um 
Yes, yes. Well, that's that's been the case for for, for some time. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm I'm uh, in favour of the vaccine passport. I think. Um, but yes, I've got sort of used to used to using it now. But um, mm. I don't know what happens when visitors from overseas start coming back. Uh, well, the problem I for them, know. isn't it? This is the thing that maybe puts mm. them off. Even though the quarantine has been reduced to three days, test negative when you get on the plane, but then test positive when you get off. Even if you mm. show no systems, you're, you're rushed off to Penny's Bay. Yes, yes. Well, that's um, that's obviously going to be a disincentive as well. All right, let me, let's move on. Let me ask you about interest rates. Interest rates in Hong Kong have hit multi-year highs. The one-month yes. one high bore against which mortgages are pegged, they rose to 2.01% on Friday. That's a 29-month high. Uh, the three-month high bore, uh, which is the benchmark for corporate loans, is at 2.79%. That's close to a 14-year high, and the Fed's expected mm. to raise interest rates next week by another uh, 75 mm. basis points. How, how big a problem is this becoming for the Hong Kong economy? Well, I mean, Hong Kong less leverage than than many other places, say like the UK or somewhere like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's obvious, that's the price we pay for the dollar peg. Um, you know, inf inflation here recently has been uh, has been quite moderate, probably because of the the, the dollar peg. Um, so that's that's the, that's the sort of good side. Um, as I've often said, you know, we've had it too good for too long with uh, people being able to borrow, you know, huge sums of money and pour them into the property market at very, very low interest rates. And, um, you know, this is one one of the reasons, one of the reasons we have a housing crisis here and in many other places. In, well, well, housing is just simply un, unaffordable for, for many uh, with lower incomes. Um Correcting that is probably going to be uh, a long and painful business. And housing starting to decline. House prices yeah. in the city fell 1.6% in July. That's a two-and-a-half-year yeah. uh, low, according to the Centre City Leading Index. It yeah. seems that um, this is, start is starting to impact, isn't it? Uh, well, not yes. just mortgage rates, but also the property market directly. Uh, yes, indeed. Prices have, I think, been easing for quite some time now. I, I haven't seen the chart exactly recently but um, yes I mean that's uh, inevitable um, I think and, and we're seeing actually mm. affecting property sales as well the Miami Key uh, development on Kai Tak only 30% yeah. of the flats uh, sold there so it's, it does seem to be rippling through the, the local property yeah, market yeah. well there's a specific problem with Kai Tak um, you know which is turning into a bit of a a bit of a disaster, having cancelled the uh, you know the monorail, the, the mass transit mm. system down that um, down the old runway, um, and a lot of de developments have been very slow there. I noticed. Um, I happened to be there a few weeks ago, and you come out of Kai Tak MTR station, and you're just surrounded by building sites. Mm. Um, mm. So I don't know what's been going on down there, but uh, it's a bit odd. But but in general, yeah, I mean. I, uh, so mo most people in Hong Kong are not uh, not whole, uh, you know highly leveraged, uh, except maybe some very recent buyers. So um, as we saw way back, you know, twenty years ago, that um, the default rate on mortgages is, is 
particularly very white, uh, mm. very low, because we have, a, you know, people have a big cushion of equity. But presumably people are noticing the rise, aren't they? Because what it, it's mm. almost 97% of mortgages in yeah. Hong Kong are linked to high yeah. bore. So even if you're not overextended, you're certainly noticing yes. um, the, 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 the rise in, your, in, in the cost yeah. of servicing that, which presumably means you, you pull in the horns on other areas yeah. of spending in the economy. Yes, I think that's uh, that's surely the case. Um, but yes, we're in for you know. I, I, I think um, sort of going going on to the U.S. interest rate picture. I think um, yeah, it's pretty clear where the terminal rate is is going to be. Well, the, the interim let's call it the interim terminal rate should be around four percent, and we should reach that. I think the Fed intends to reach that by the end of this year mm. th- with three more um, three more. Uh, the markets, though, no, don't market. seem to believe that, do they? That's That's been the issue. I mean, the markets are sort of very much hanging their hat on, particularly the, the mm. data. The, we've got uh, US CPI coming out later today, sort of yeah. confirming in their minds that we've reached uh, peak inflation. And you've got high-profile investors mm. like Kathy Wood uh, mm. saying that um, – Actually, we're heading for deflation, and she's pointing to all the big declines in copper, lumber, oil, mm. iron ore, and so on as evidence for that. What, what do you think? Um, yes, I think, well, I think in the short term, it doesn't make any difference. The Fed are very clearly on this, on this path. They want to get rates up to a, a normal a normal level mm. by, by historic standards. So let's say that's going to be around 4% by the end of this year. Then I think they may well pause. Uh, and wait to see how that beds in. But I don't think they're going to go reverse direction at all um, for quite some time. They can't really, can they, after what they did, getting inflation wrong in the first place? Yes, yes, exactly. as I said, I'm sorry. Sorry for Cathy Wood. The value of her uh, her fund is is quite depressed now, but um, eventually it will will probably come back. But um, I don't think think this is going to... You know, all, all that, the, the bubble, the bubble, the asset price bubble, which was caused and then finally given a sort of rocket boost um, during during COVID with both fiscal and monetary easing, double-barreled, um, you know, has got to be squeezed out. Mm. So what does this mean for markets? We've got crucial inflation mm. data um, coming up later on today. We've got the Fed yeah. meeting next week where it seems Fed fund futures are pricing in a 92% chance now of a 75 basis point rate hike. Um, where do the markets, how do the markets take this? Um, yeah, well, we've had, um, we had quite a good rally, as you know, and then a pullback in early August. Now we're having a sort of secondary rally of mm. uh, stocks back up, but um, I suspect they will not... Um, not exceed the previous peak, so we may we may mm. be in for. Um, I think the, the most opti- optimistic outlook is for a bit of a, a trading range, and um, but I think with that, uh, earnings will probably start to come more into the into the picture as well. Um, there's evidence that earnings growth is slowing in, in, even in the U.S., and um, so that, I think the markets may switch their focus. As I say, once we get towards a, a, the, this terminal rate for Fed funds and so on, um, they may switch the f- focus back towards mm. the fundamentals of, of, of particular companies and sectors.
Do, do you think, even if we get 75 basis points next week, do you think mm. maybe after that the Fed is on the verge? It's not going to obviously stop, but maybe mm. at least dial future rate hikes back to 50 and then 25 by the end of the year? Um, yes, I think... Um Remind me what the rate is now. Gets so is it two point five? Two point five. Yeah. Yeah. So so that you could get to this tar, this four uh, percent rate, but with three fifties, or fifty, the uh, seventy five, fifty, twenty five, as you say. Okay. Um, all right, John, good to talk to you. Thank you very much for coming in this morning. That's yeah. John Schofield, managing as director at Tempest mm. Investment. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. RTHK Radio 3. Time's 8.23 and a half on the phone from Japan. is Tokyo-based journalist and author William Pesic. Morning, William. Good morning. Now, local media in, over there reporting that the country is going to soon relax um, travel restrictions for foreign travellers to help boost the Japanese economy and the Japanese yen. I think this is um, big news, isn't it, given that foreign visitors have, in effect, been barred from entering for about the last two years? It is, certainly. Um, it's, it's good to, take, to see Japan taking a deep breath and, and changing course. And I think that uh, it's, a, it's a valid move that the public supports, I think, in many ways in recent months. There's been concern that, you know, certainly Japan's government hasn't gone the way of China with lockdowns, uh, but I think that there's been some concern that Japan's been squandering this this incredibly uh, impactful moment where you've got the yen down sharply, you've got people with, you know, basically lockdown fatigue, they want to travel, they'd love to come to Japan, it's just been very difficult. So, you know, I think certainly from an economic standpoint, uh, businesses, hotels, the service industry, the transport industry they're looking at this moment as an optimistic one for the, the second half of you know the second half of 2022 heading into 2023 and mm. hopefully you know when uh, when they sort of you know build this travel industry post-covid people will come mm. the deputy chief cabinet secretary actually cited the weak yen as, as being a reason for doing this and, a, and a, in effect attracting inbound tourism the, the yen's at a 24 year low now against the dollar if you're a foreign tourist coming to japan in effect it's dirt cheap isn't it it is indeed i mean I, i'm you know i'm mulling a trip to new york uh, to visit my own family in november and i'm kind of cringing at, <laughs> at the exchange rates in the opposite direction but yes, mm. i mean this is a perfect moment for japan to be uh, attracting uh, tourists from overseas and you know you've seen a lot of the, the sort of the tour companies in japan putting together packages hoping to you know lure in visitors from overseas. I think one of the things they're doing that's smart is they're trying to get tourists that do come to travel to the hinterlands, not just Tokyo, not just Kyoto, but up to Hokkaido, out mm. to Kyushu, to see more of the country, to share more of this, this tourism wealth, if you will. And, you know, what's interesting is a lot of cities like Kyoto, they've had this hotel boom over the last five years or so, and these hotels have just been sitting there vacant. So I think for many investors and for many service industry executives. This is a very hopeful moment. We'll see what happens. Mm. The, the last time the yen was this week, uh, back in the 1990s, Japan's economy was, was in fact in meltdown at the time. It's obviously not in meltdown now, but it, it is rather odd, isn't it? The, 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 the sort of the strength or the weakness of the yen um, is not really reflected in the, in the economy at all at the moment. Well, it's really more about the dollar. I mean, the dollar is 
just basically strong the way it was, you know, in, in the late 1990s. It's pulling capital towards the U.S. And, you know, you, we can debate whether or not the dollar should be getting this kind of support, if you will, given the U.S.'s own problems. But it's more of a U.S. story. But I think that for Japan, the concern is inflation. You know, Japan's been trying to beat deflation for 20 years now. It's been trying to generate 2% inflation. It suddenly is getting there, and people don't like it because it's bad inflation, right? It's inflation being mm-hmm. imported from high oil prices and food prices. So even though Japan's economy right now is stabilizing, there are a lot of concerns about too much inflation too fast and what it means for the economy in the second half of the year. That said, you know, the tourism outlook uh, will certainly help in terms of GDP, but the inflation numbers are worrisome to some extent. Not the same kinds of problems you have in the U.S. or the U.K., but certainly mm-hmm. from Japan's perspective, it's a bit of an unwelcome development. What about for companies? The, the real effective exchange rate now is back to 1971 levels uh, relative to China and Korea. It's never been as cost competitive as it is now. Presumably, this is very, very good uh, for Japanese companies. It is, and there's been a lot of talk about reshoring. You know, over the last 20 years or so, Japanese companies have done what American companies have done. They've moved, you know, millions of jobs overseas. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of talk about these jobs, some of these jobs coming back because of the basically the, the, the cost analysis for CEOs around Japan. So, you know, you can argue that for Japan Inc., uh, this is an important moment. But I think one of the other concerns, the dark side of this, is that the weaker the yen is, the less incentive there might be for companies to restructure and to innovate. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of concern that over the last 20 years, Japan has spent so much time and energy weakening the yen, it's taking pressure off of Toyota and Sony and, you know, Mitsubishi to raise their economic games around the world. So there's that dark side. But, you know, in the short run, sure. I mean, the effective exchange rate dynamic is an important one for Japan, Inc. And certainly from a profit stock standpoint, it's got to be optimistic. Is the government concerned about this rapid decline in the yen or are they happy to just let it ride like that? Well, I think, you know, in, in some ways they're, they're kind of ambivalent about it. On the one hand, uh, they, they do see the benefits, for, you know, in terms of tourism, in terms of exports. But I think there's a lot of concerns about Japan, again, importing inflation, a bit too much inflation, too quickly. And I think that there's, there's a concern about losing control, right? I think the BOJ, mm-hmm. one of the reasons why they're not acting to rein in the end is because they worry it's going to fail. This is really a dollar story more than a Japan story. And you know, as your previous segment talked about, you know, it's all about what Jerome Powell does in Washington, less so about what uh, the BOJ does in Tokyo. Thank you very much, William. That's Tokyo-based journalist and author William Pesic. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And in Japan right now, the Nikkei 225 is up a quarter of a percent. Uh, the ASX 200 in South Korea has risen 0.6%. Uh, sorry, in Australia, that is, the ASX 200. The Cosby in South Korea up 1.9%. Playing catch-up, it was closed for a holiday yesterday, as was uh, markets in Hong Kong. The Hang Seng looks set to rise about 60 points at the open this morning. Thank you very much indeed for listening. Do um, join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for Money Talk. Coming up after the news is Back Chats with Jim Gould and Ada Wong. The weather forecast, fine and dry, apart from some haze. Very hot during the day, maximum temperature of about... 35 degrees that very hot weather warning is in force as is the red fire danger warning it's going to be persistently fine very hot and dry this week temperature right now is 30 degrees 72 percent relative humidity
Time's 8.30. Here's Todd Harding with the half-hour news. President Zelensky says Ukraine's armed forces have recaptured nearly 6,000 square kilometres of territory from Russia since beginning their counteroffensive earlier this month. But there's been no independent verification. Earlier, the Kremlin insisted that Russia's war in Ukraine would continue until all its goals were met. Vladimir Putin's spokesman Dmitry Peskov said the president was in constant communication with his military commanders. This report from the BBC's Steve Rosenberg in Moscow. Today, President Putin's spokesman pledged that what the Kremlin calls its special military operation in Ukraine would continue until the aims had been achieved. On state TV here, they crowed about Russian missile strikes on Ukraine's power grid. But behind the rousing messaging, the fact remains that a lightning-fast Ukrainian counterattack has pushed Russian troops from much of northeast Ukraine. Pro-Russia social media channels accused Russia's defence ministry of making mistakes. So did the powerful leader of Chechnya, Ramzan Kadyrov. He's threatened to raise the matter with President Putin himself. Queen Elizabeth has been remembered in the service of prayer and reflection at St Giles Cathedral in the Scottish capital, Edinburgh. Her body is now lying at rest within the cathedral for 24 hours, so the public can file past and pay their respects. Crowds earlier packed the streets to watch the state hearse travel up the Royal Mile from the Palace of Holyrood House in a procession led by King Charles. The BBC's Danny Savage was there. Opposite the doors of St Giles Cathedral, the crowd was 15 people deep. These people in the crowd believed the waiting was worthwhile. We just wanted to be here. It's special, isn't it, for, for everyone in the country, not just for Scotland, for everyone around the world and the Commonwealth. There was one arrest in the crowd. A man was detained after insults were shouted at the Duke of York. The people around him tried to drown him out, chanting, God save the king. The great and the good of, in the world of television have gathered in Los Angeles for the Emmys Awards Ceremony. Scaled back for the past two years because of the pandemic, the evening is back in full with stars parading on the red carpet at the Microsoft Theatre. Favourite for the main award best drama is Succession, the story about a ruthless media family, though the South Korean series Squid Game has also received multiple nominations. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter today is Ada Wong. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're talking about the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. The Queen's coffin is due to be flown to London later today for four days of lying in state before the state funeral next Monday. The Queen was Britain's longest reigning monarch and the nation's figurehead for seven decades. She died at her home at Balmoral in Scotland last Thursday at the age of 96. Her eldest son, Charles, officially became King of the United Kingdom and the head of state of 14 other countries, including Australia, Canada and New Zealand, as Prince William and his wife Catherine were named the Prince and Princess of Wales. If you want to make a comment, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can call us on 233 
And we're joined uh, in the studio this morning by Mark Hampton, Associate Professor at uh, Lingnan University's Department of History. And uh, also on the line, we have uh, Alexandra Tracy, uh, Vice Chairman of the Royal Commonwealth Society's Hong Kong branch. Uh, Mark Hampton, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so, I mean, Charles uh, addressing uh, uh, Houses of uh, Parliament, both Houses of Parliament yesterday talked about the weight of history which surrounds us. So, I mean, from a historical perspective, uh, how do you see the past, the events of the past few days? Well, as you, 